The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have Welcome to this special Between the Seasons edition of the Anchored City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. Nordic skiing, often called cross-country skiing, has been part of Anchorage since the city was founded. During the winter of 1917, on February 16, in the column Daily Doings Around Town, the Anchorage Daily Times reported, the Scandinavian Society is contemplating forming a ski club with the view of pulling off a skiing contest in the near future. Just a few days later, on February 25, in the same column, an update appeared. Young Viking reports that so far 10 contestants have entered into the skiing race and are practicing for the big event that is dated for next Sunday. The hype for Anchorage's first ski race continued with the paper reporting that the enthusiasm in Sunday's skiing race is growing and the contestants are practicing daily and will be in good physical shape for the big race. Friday, March 2, an article titled Five Mile Ski Race to be Pulled Off on Sunday was printed. The article reiterated that 10 racers would compete, but added that the race would begin at 2 o'clock p.m. with the start and finish line at the Recreation Bowling Alley, and that Mr. Kaiser, a moving picture operator, was planning on filming scenes from the race. That article noted that the race was creating a great deal of excitement among the lovers of this great outdoor sport, and that several of the contestants are reported to be able to make better than six miles per hour. On the website Alaska Lost Ski Areas Project, there's a picture of the starting line of the 10-mile race held on March 4, 1917. That race started and finished on 4th Avenue in front of the Recreation Bowling Alley. The website reads in part, This picture is the start of the first cross-country ski race held in Anchorage, Alaska. Look at all the spectators and the two folks watching with excitement from the rooftop. Emil Gustafson, Bib 3, was leading after the first five-mile lap, but John Aho, Bib 5, went on to win in one hour, eight and a half minutes, beating Gustafson by 30 seconds. Monday, March 5, the day after the race, the Daily Times reported the results of the race and added that the race was intensely exciting and that John Aho was the favorite in the betting and was carried into the recreation bowling alley on the shoulders of his many admirers after his win. The article also mentioned that another race was planned in the near future. That second race took place one week later on Sunday, March 11. The Daily Times called it one of the most interesting sporting events of the winter. The race was won again by John Aho, this time by the slim margin of 24 seconds. For his efforts, he won $50, with the remaining $50 of the purse split between second, third, and fourth place. 
Once again, the Recreation Bowling Alley was the location of the start and the finish, and the newspaper reported that it also acted as a stakeholder for considerable money, as the enthusiastic supporters were quite willing to back their favorites. The article ended by saying that the ski races are causing so much excitement and have aroused such enthusiasm that another race will undoubtedly be arranged for next Sunday. As we've seen, Nordic skiing has been part of Anchorage since the very earliest years of the city, and has always been part of winter life here, although most of the time with far less betting than in 1917. Nordic skiing as we know it today got its start in 1964, with the formation of the Anchorage Nordic Ski Club, known today as Nordic Skiing Association of Anchorage, or simply NSAA. For more on that history and the 1964 Bootlegger Cove cross-country ski race, see our first episode in this winter sports series, a between-the-season episode titled Once Upon a Time in Forest Park. My guest today is Alice Tower Knapp. She's the author of On Track, the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage. Knapp has literally written the book on Nordic skiing in Anchorage since 1964. Here's our conversation. That I have yet to cross And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over Alice Tower Knapp. I am a lifeline, lifelong Anchorage resident, uh, born and raised here. My parents both came to Anchorage in the late 50s. They were brand new doctors, and my father was arrived in Anchorage um, as the first pediatrician in Anchorage and uh, uh, set up a practice here. And so many of the the early residents of Anchorage um, had Dr. Tower as his doctor. So that was sort of uh, the background for our family arriving in Anchorage and uh, grew up here, uh, attended high school um, at service high school and started skiing. Yeah, I don't even know when I started skiing, probably as soon as I started walking, basically. Um, at age four, um, the Nordic Skiing Ski Club of Anchorage, it was what it was called at the time, um, uh, started uh, with the, the race at um, Sewell Faulkner's front yard. And that race, uh, I was there, I don't remember it, but uh, I was about four years old. Um, my sister, who was age 10 at the time, raced in that race. And my mom um, actually won the women's race um, that day. And then three days later, the Nordic Skiing Association started. Um, so I, I basically grew up with the club. Um, I uh, mostly um, was involved in the racing end of the club through high school. And then after I raced uh, in Vermont at Middlebury College, um, through college and then came back here and coached the service high school ski team for a year before starting a 30-year teaching um, teaching career, uh, elementary ed, and then reading specialist and school librarian. So uh, 
I very fortunate to to have been raised in Anchorage um, in the skiing community, and throughout the the my life, I've been involved with the Nordic um, Skiing Association of Anchorage in one form or another, either as a uh, a kid racing on through adult coaching, junior Nordic league and high school, and then uh, being involved as a co-president in 1991, uh, 92, and uh, oh, just a variety of volunteer activities through there. I coordinated the Ski for Kids um, event for five years um, and uh, have just been a uh, a volunteer at all the high school and middle school races for the past 15 years. So it's been a busy, uh, fun time. It's a great community. I love it. Um, and I married uh, uh, Gunnar Knapp, who is my uh, husband, and I met him on the ski train. So I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of great memories uh, connected to the club. Yeah, so we'll talk plenty about Anchorage skiing as we go along. And you've already gotten us started on that with a little bit of the history and your history with that. But I know you just got back from Norway where you skied in the Birkin. So I'd love to hear a little bit and maybe listeners would as well. What was it like skiing in that race? And maybe for folks that don't know what that is, if you can fill them in as well. Yeah, we we just spent uh, 10 days in Norway and uh uh, we combined uh, the skiing, the Birken Binerit, they call it, or the Birken for short. It's a 54 kilometer uh, ski race, um, classic style, uh, that follows the um, the historical events of the the people called the Birkins saving the the prince by carrying him over the mountains from Rena to Lillehammer and. Uh, so they've had this race for um, many, many years in commemoration of that event that happened hundreds of years ago. Uh, it's it's quite the event. <laughs> there were thousands of people skiing this event, and uh, you had everything from elite Olympians racing to you know people that were just took it as a day tour. But uh, 54 kilometers classic, and believe me, it was hard. <laughs> I've skied, I've skied other um, 50 plus kilometer races, and this was by far the hardest. It was the first 20 kilometers was pretty much uphill the whole time. Um, there was a short break here and there, but not much of one. And uh, it was great conditions, but my skis didn't really have the kick I wanted. And so the first 20 K was a struggle. And then it just sort of uh, gets up on a plateau and is sort of um, gradual up at level-ish. And then the last 14 kilometers are a whooping downhill, which was the only time I felt like I wasn't being passed by every Norwegian in town. <laughs> uh, took me 55 hours, 50 minutes, um, which is, to me, felt felt slow and hard. Um and I was passed by far more people than I've ever been passed in a ski event in my life. <laughs> and uh, Norwegians know how to ski. It's a big event for them. Um, and it's a real mark of honor if you um, not only ski the Birken Classic, but if you make the mark. And the mark is um, finishing within... Um, 25% of the time of the top five finishers in your age group. 
And I made the mark, which was surprising because I didn't feel like I was really skiing that great. But uh, it was it was a beautiful day. It goes up on a high plateau. Um, uh, there were just thousands of people there. And, and it, you know, you start in waves. Um, I was in wave seven and each wave had three to four hundred people in it. And there were, I think, 12, 13 waves. So it's a big event. But the fun thing was um, before we we skied the Birkin, we attended the Holmenkollen races, which are the Super Bowl of Nordic skiing. I mean, it is a big event. And uh, the first day was the men's 50 kilometer event. And uh, there were and I'm not exaggerating here, there were over 20,000 people watching this race and half of them were under the age of 30. They were out on the trail. Many of them had camped overnight um, and they were all fairly party hardies, uh, <laughs> drinking heavily and um, celebrating. It's, it's, um, they said it's, it's kind of like the 4th of July um, wrapped up in a winter event. Um, thousands and thousands of people come to watch this Holman Cullen race. So that was fun. And there's also um, ski jumping and ski combined um, events at this over the same weekend. And it, a big event this year was the 50K, first time women's World Cup 50K race. Um, they equalized the distance in the World Cup and the Holman Cullen got to be the first women's 50K, which um, uh, we had some Alaskans racing there. And so that was a whole whole lot of fun to watch um, the first women's 50 kilometer. And uh, and that was on the Sunday of the Home and Cullen weekend. It was a big deal. The king was there and the prince and, <laughs> you know, it's uh, Norwegians. I mean, their ski, our football is equivalent to their skiing. I mean, every Norwegian is born with skis on their feet. It's a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, I know I've watched races in Europe um, on television and so on. And the amount of people that come out to watch is just amazing. Like it's hard to it's hard to fathom in the U.S. because it doesn't get near that response here. Um, before we start talking a little bit about the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage, could you just fill listeners in on what what all Nordic skiing covers? It's kind of an umbrella of a number of sports. So if you would just let folks kind of know what all does Nordic skiing when you say Nordic skiing, what does that refer to? Right. Skinny skis <laughs> is one way of putting it, but um, it's a combination of, of different um, kind of uh, events. And the main one is, or the base one, I would say, is cross-country skiing. And that can involve everything from skinny skis, racing on groomed trails. Um, the, the skis have... Uh, Unlike alpine skis, your your heel is free. It comes up. Uh, cross country skiing, you go up and down hills. Um, unlike alpine, which is you know you take a chairlift up and and ride down. So there's cross country. There's also um, and that can involve telemark skiing. It can involve backcountry skiing on wider skis. Um, and there's the the newer equipment, the AT equipment that has. Um, a heel that, that you can attach going down and up that maybe that's borderline Nordic or Alpine. I don't, I'm not sure if it con is considered Nordic, but it, 
perhaps. And then there's biathlon, which is um, cross-country skiing combined with shooting, which is a, a pretty cool winter sport. Um, the skiers uh, will race. The, now it's uh, freestyle technique on the trails, and then they um, will stop at the range and, and have um, uh, usually two to four shooting um, opportunities, two prone, two standing. Um, and so it combines markmanship with uh, cross-country racing. And then there's Nordic Combined, which combines cross-country with jumping. And um, so they'll have, maybe in the morning, they'll have a jumping event. And then in the afternoon, they, they would, um, kind of be ranked in order by their results of the jumping. And then they they have a, a, a start based on their their ranking. And, uh, and so it's a combined score. Um, and then there's ski jumping, which is, um, you know, the big different equipment, the big, big jumping skis, and they're going off huge, huge jumps. <laughs> And they're they're scored on uh, not only the length of the jump but the technique. And uh, I am no expert at ski jumping, Nordic combined, or biathlon, but uh, that kind of sums up what Nordic skiing entails. It's it's basically uh, ski jumping, biathlon, Nordic combined, and cross country skiing with maybe backcountry and touring skis, um, not on groomed trails. And we're fortunate enough in Anchorage to have all of those things. There's not a lot of places where there's ski jumping um, in the U.S. or in North America. So it's it's interesting we can do the whole the whole uh, array of Nordic skiing in Anchorage. So in your book on track, you tell the history of the Nordic Ski Association in Anchorage, or the history of skiing in Anchorage is another way to look at it. I think. Um, wh where did the idea come from to write a book like this? Well, first of all, I don't profess to tell the whole story of skiing in Anchorage. There um, is a great uh, website that Tim Kelly put together, um, the ALSOP, the Alaska Lost Ski Areas Project, A-L-S-O-P website, which has a lot of background on earlier ski clubs earlier, and it encompasses Alpine and Nordic, um, which is, I, I used as some of my resources, but it, but I don't try to give the whole history of skiing in Anchorage or Alaska. Um, that would have been even a bigger project. <laughs> but I will say that I that I wrote the history of the Nordic Skiing Association as best I could. Um, and uh, what gave me the idea? Well, I grew up with the club. Um, I've been involved in the club. The club is nearing 60 years. Uh, next January will be 60 years of the club's existence. And, you know, frankly, uh, the pioneers are getting old. We've lost a few in the last couple of years. Um, and the history needed to be told. And I was just in a position I could, I could work on it. Um, COVID helped. I mean, it kind of freed up a lot of time. I'm a retired teacher. I'm not a historian. I don't pretend to be a historian, but I have a passion for skiing and in the Nordic Club in, in particular. And so I just kind of thought, well, you know, why not? Um, Jim Rankert, who's a good friend of mine, who also grew up in Anchorage um, with the Nordic Ski Club, 
he and I had had a conversation a couple of years ago and he goes, oh, we got to have a museum. We've got to talk about, you know, all the things that Nordic has done for the community and, and we need to write a history. We, the, you know, the big we. (laughs) And, and I just sort of plunged in. Originally I thought I'd just write an article, you know, to, to record some of it and, and as I dug into it, I realized, wow, there's a lot there that I wasn't aware of that um, the more I found, the more I discovered, the more I needed to dig in and and it ended up a book. <laughs> so in researching this interview, um, I noticed that the Alaska Daily News had done a review of the book last week, I think, really recently. Um, And in there, it talks about that there aren't many people better positioned to tell the story of growth and expansion of cross-country skiing in Anchorage than Alice Tower Knapp. And in flipping through your book, which I think you describe as flip-throughable in the introduction, which I really, I love that as a term. um, It it, it really occurs to me that your, your personal history, as you've talked about, as you were introducing yourself, is really um, intertwined with the history of the Nordic Ski Association. So would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? How did you, how did you find your history woven through a lot of the history that you were researching and writing? Well, as I, as I said earlier, I, I grew up with the club. Um, I attended those early meetings at Central um, Junior High at the time. And, uh, you know, I was coached by a lot of the movers and shakers of the club. I um, attended, you know, summer training through the club and and raced all through elementary, junior high and high school and college out of state. But but so I was really familiar with this, the racing end of the club. Um, my mom was a past president of Nordic in 1971 and 70, 71 or 71, 72. Let's get the dates mixed up. I ended up being a board member and a co-president um, in 9192. And, you know, I just, there are a lot of overlaps. I was on the first ski train. I've been on many of the ski trains. Um, I know, I know all the, you know, the people that built this club and built the trails. And um, I knew them at different levels and different, you know, some as coaches, some as, um, you know, just people I was aware of. But uh, as I dug into the history, it was just like, oh boy, you know, there's just, you know, these people don't, they don't toot their own horn. They, they quietly behind the scenes, like the Burkholders and the Mises and the Mahaffeys, and um, there's so many people that, the Richters, the Moorlines that built these trails that, you know, so many people ski these trails and are not aware who who Moorline is, who Richter is, who Mize is, and they need to know because we would not have these trails if it hadn't been for them. <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool. Um, there's, you know, Anchorage is a is an urban city that has an incredible trail no- network, and every single trail in Anchorage has its roots in the Nordic Ski Club. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's an absolute blessing the amount of trails that we have in this city, um, in in such an urban place is is astounding. As you were going through the history, re- researching this and reviewing and and going through your own memories, was there a favorite part of the history that stood out? And then maybe a, this isn't a question that I prepped you for, but it's one that occurs to me. Was there something that surprised you in in researching the history too? Like, um, so I would love to hear that favorite parts or something that surprised you. 
I think my favorite parts was talking to some of these people, you know, and really getting to know them and their involvements. I knew them on on a level, but I didn't know the depth of their things. Um, Jim Mahaffey was amazing because he kept these wonderful scrapbooks and records and he built the the at the time it was Alaska Methodist University, but now it's the APU trails. But he built those in 1967, 68, around in there, and and um, put it got a ski chump built in a year, and and he had this scrapbook that had all these incredible documentation of all these early skiers and and how how trails came together. He was real involved in the trail um, committee with the Nordic Skiing Association. Um, and he has all these, he had all these great ideas for, for ways in the Nordic could keep growing, some which have happened and some which are still on the, you know, the books, hopefully that will eventually happen. But um, talking to them and, and to him and to Jim and Sally Burkholder, who also kept pictures and records and, and the depth of knowledge of how those trails trails came about at Kincaid, especially, um, you know, none of these trails were a done deal. I mean, um, Russian Jack could have been a zoo. Um, Kincaid Park could have been a prison. Um, the Hillside Park could have been a subdivision. I mean, these things would not be here if Nordic hadn't you know, the the pathfinders, the the movers and shakers hadn't, you know, kind of gotten involved politically to to advocate for trails. Um, I talked to Lainey Fleischer, who whose Chester Creek bike trail is named after, you know, she's the founding mother of our bike trail system. And I had seen an article in the, the Anchorage Times that basically said um, that the Nordic Ski Club brushed out those trails, the the Chester Creek Trail from Valley of the Moon up to Goose Lake. That was Nordic Club that that brushed those trails out. And I called her and I said, that surprised me. You know, I thought I didn't realize that the Nordic Club had done that. And she goes, oh, yeah. In fact, they had the contract for three years to, to brush it and, and maintain it. And to this day, Nordic maintains, you know, the, the main ski trails in Anchorage, uh, Parks and Rec handles, you know, the paved bike trails for grooming and, and maintaining, but Nordic does all the high schools and, and uh, Kincaid and service and the Bicentennial Park tour trail. So, <laughs> you know, I, the, there, there were things in there that surprised me. I, you know, we, we know that the parkland in Anchorage is is city park owned, um, but what I think a lot of people don't realize is that those parks are maintained by the Nordic Skiing Association, which is a nonprofit and kind of exists through membership donations and track pin support. But year-round users, they may not be skiers, but they're using these trails that Nordic maintains. And, and part of my reasoning for getting this book out is, is to really inform people about the contributions this club has made to our city. And we call ourselves a winter recreation city. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and we wouldn't be that way. We wouldn't have all the Olympians we have. Um, we wouldn't have winter stars and APUNSC and 
Anchorage, Alaska Nordic Racing if we hadn't had built these trails. And to this day, you know, our, our elite skiers, they train out of Anchorage because of our, our trail system. Did I answer that question? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so this is an even bigger question, but how has Nordic skiing changed in Anchorage in the last 60 years? And we're maybe already getting a flavor of that, but. Yeah, how is, how it's, it's huge. Um, well, I'll, I'll just do my racing, how my racing has changed um, from when I was a little kid. I started out on probably touring bindings, but my first first skis had three pin leather you know buying or three pin bindings um with leather boots bamboo poles um the skis were wooden um and the waxing was you you just did kick wax there was no such thing as glide wax i mean if it was colder conditions you you really corked it in well but i mean you know the ski equipment was heavier the the clothing was much different so it was knickers and wool socks and um and um just you know cotton not not thermal underwear or anything or lycra or anything like that so so that's how it started as it progressed when i was in high school the first generation of synthetic skis was coming out um they were light they had double camber which meant that the you had more glide surface and you had to really kick hard to get the the kick wax to engage and um and then all of a sudden you had glide wax like alpine skis needed for the tips and tails and and kick wax under the foot and then by the time i finished college marathon skating and and skate skiing was the new technique where oh it was huge you know all of a sudden you went from um, applying kick wax to only applying glide wax and the technique went from being in a track and in going kind of forward within the track to to as ice skating you know the side to side motion taller poles the poles went from you know the bamboo to there was uh, aluminum poles for a little while and then it went into graphite and carbon type poles really light um, touring equipment's changed from cable bindings to, um, you know, now they have these, this fancy AT skis, um, and the clothing, of course, the racing clothing has gone to, to these very fancy Lycra suits and, um, ski jumping. Wow. <laughs> ski jumping, the whole technique of ski jumping has changed from, um, the original style of, of, you know, the skier over the skis to a V kind of um, technique. Uh, biathlon rifles have totally changed from um, heavy woodstock rifles um, to, uh, I'm not up on biathlon, but to very light um, precision rifles with fancier sights and, and all that. Um, the ranges, the trails, the grooming, all that's changed um, with the advent of skate skiing. So there are two main class, there are two main techniques in cross-country skiing. There's the in the track classic technique, or some people call it diagonal technique. Uh, and there's the skate skiing technique. And if you're skate skiing, you need a wider track. So there was a whole time in the history of Nordic where there's quite a controversy either 
in the 80s and 90s about widening the trails to accommodate for skate skiing and should we have diagonal only classic trails um, or should we just widen everything and, and the, the people that really enjoyed the classic skiing didn't really want the trees to come down to widen trails so there you know it's it's growth I mean it's it's just the kind of the the ups and downs of of modernization I guess and and technique advances the waxing has gotten very um tricky and complicated that floral waxing is coming and now it's going um, um because of the the issues with floral waxes they're now trying to back off of those and um the training has changed quite a bit dramatically for elite racers um, and juniors. Uh, and, you know, a lot of things are, are the same, but, but within a, a kind of a forward moving progression. So you divide the book, you talk about the kind of history of the club trails, club divisions, events, um, and then kind of the operations of the club, the kind of administration of the club. But in looking through the book and in the bits I've read, there's all these insets on people. And you've talked a little bit about people. It really strikes me in some ways that it's a history of people in skiing in Anchorage. Can, can you speak to that a little bit about that part of the, the way that you put the book together? That, that was my favorite part of the writing aspect of the book. The, the apology I'll make right, right up front is that there are so many people I didn't put in the book that could have been in the book. And I felt bad about that. But when I was up to about 65 little, you know, bios or, or um, I call them spotlights. Um, but when I when I got up to about 60 of them, I, I sort of thought I got to cut this off at some point. And I wanted to be a a bit even-handed about featuring people that were racing-oriented versus jumping versus biathlon versus touring um, and other contributions to the club. I tried to um, be even-handed about that. I didn't include some of the people that are deceased, and I didn't have enough information on them to really do them justice. Um, I tried to mention them where I could. <laughs> but, I mean, this club has its growth and it's built on the volunteers and it still is it's um we have paid staff but it's a volunteer organization and um the races wouldn't happen the the trail maintenance wouldn't happen without all the wonderful volunteers and um and you know people have depending on you know where they are in life um you know, young families I mean, may not be volunteering much, but as their kids progress through school, all of a sudden they show up and they start, you know, helping at races. And and it's just kind of this, this wonderful community of volunteers. Um, but the people, the spotlights on the people were great. Um, you know, you had the early pioneers that, that sort of did the early trails and got the club started and did waxing clinics and, um, you know, everything from, uh, you know, building the trails to coaching to to um, doing um, just the the nails and, you know, the, the background of, of everyday, you know, operations. Um, the early groomers that 
you know, just sort of put together an old snow machine and built, welded a track and, and just went out and, and groomed. I mean, the, the early races I remember is there was no groom trail. It was just um, whoever packed it out, you know, with skis or snowshoes, they just packed out a trail. And, and if it was, if it was bad conditions, that's what you had, you know, now we have these fancy groomers and, you know, we have millions of dollars worth of equipment with these piston bullies and we're spoiled. We're spoiled so much to what we used to have. And, um, you know, the people like George Morline, who, you know, his five boys were involved in skiing and, and he didn't ski, but he he would show up and with an old snow machine and go around the hillside service trails and, and pack them for a race. And, um you know, the people are the are the 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 foundations. Dick Mize was so huge because he he was sort of the connector to the school district, and he was an, an a, a, first a teacher, then a principal, then an administrator with the Anchorage School District, and he was so key in in getting the contract um, so that the high schools and middle and junior highs at the time. Um, paid for the the grooming for the races. Originally the coaches just kind of did it, you know, somehow, some way. But um with the Anchorage School District support um basically set up through Dick Mize, um, we were able, and Sally Burkholder did a lot with that too. But um getting that fundamental, you know, money helped support the club and getting grooming operations going. Um, the track pin program was really, really important too. Um, we hosted our first international um, World Cup race in 1983, and that was about the same time the tax cap got passed. And with the tax cap, cap passing the um, the funding for um, the Parks and Rec declined, um, and so no longer did Parks and Rec have the money to groom or to provide grooming for the bike trails and or high school races or anything. So all of a sudden Nordic was stuck. They had to, they had to somehow keep grooming going. And that's when the track pin program started. Um, the track pin program is great. It's wonderful. It doesn't begin to pay for track tracks. <laughs> and, and that's one of the messages I tried to put out in the book is that um, people just don't understand how much uh, infrastructure and, and money goes into maintaining these trails. And they're, you know, people are quick to complain if the conditions aren't perfectly groomed. But, you know, Nordic is, is taking care of 160 kilometers of grooming and with, with good equipment, but the equipment is expensive equipment and it needs repairs. And on low snow years, which certainly isn't this year, but on low snow years, we have snow making, and that involves a lot of um, money and time to provide that snow making with the equipment. Um, there's just a lot of money that that goes into maintaining these trails and the paid staff we have for grooming. And, you know, our corporate sponsors help a lot. The track pin helps a lot. Membership helps a lot, but it doesn't Membership does not cover, and track pin sales do not cover the cost of grooming, and and that's something that I'd really would be a takeaway from the book is 
you know, hey, folks, just like public radio, if you listen to public radio, you know, be a be a member, support it. If you're a trail user, whether or not you put on skis, if you're a fat bike user, if you're a runner, if you know, if you take your dogs on walks in the summer on the on the trails, be aware that Nordic maintains those years round. If spruce bark beetles kill those trees, the Nordic operations staff goes out and clears them. And that that kind of thing, it is public parks, yes, but um, those parks would be overgrown and gone if, you know, not for the members. And it's not that Parks and Rec doesn't do its fair share. It does what it can, and they do a good job of what they can, (laughs) you know, but they don't have the equipment and they don't have the the manpower or funding. So, you know, that's where we're we are. So I know if listeners are interested in learning more about the history, you're giving a talk at the museum soon with uh, Cook Inlet Historical Society. How would folks be able to access that um, that talk if they want to be if they want to hear that? Yeah, it's um, it's uh, April 20th at the museum at seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, it's a free event. You don't have to sign up for that if you want to come in person. If you'd rather attend via um, Crowdcast, I think it's called, um, go to the Cook Inlet Historical Society website, and there's a link that you can sign up for that um, for that uh, Crowdcast platform, which I guess is pretty easy, just like Zoom. But um, and they will archive it too. So I think that if you can't tune in on that day, you can um, soon after, you know, get it. And I really want people to do it, even though it's going to make me nervous. (laughs) I I really want people to to show up because my goal in this book was to, yes, promote the Nordic Skiing Association of Anchorage, but also just inform them about all that's gone into the building of this club. And the talk itself will focus on the history and I'll, I'll kind of go um, blow by blow through each decade, sort of the changes over time, which I'm not doing on this book broadcast so much, but, um, you know, just telling about, okay, in the first decade, what, you know, what happened and, and build on that. So, so that's my focus on the talk. Um, and, you know, all season long, I, I have a little side note. Um, I'm the announcer at the high school races. And this year, kind of as a way to get the kids involved a little bit in the history of the Nordic Skiing Association. Um, at the at the beginning of the races, I would hand out a, a kind of trivia challenge to each each team. And it would have like 10 questions. And um the teams were encouraged to um, find the answers amongst all the volunteers that are helping at the races. And it got to be a pretty good competition. The The teams were a little slow to get started and get in the spirit of it. But by the end, um, after about, I think we had seven or eight challenges. And I, I missed a week because I was out of town. And the teams came to me going what happened? <laughs> you know, why didn't we have that challenge? And and I think even if they only learned a little bit about the club and the origins and the trail and who, you know, who Mize is and who Mahaffey and, and all these, I think that, you know, just even little sparks of information, um, I, I want the kids to understand um, 
what we have here is is such a, a great thing. And I, I really encourage people to 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 join Nordic at whatever level they can afford just to to show that they do appreciate the trails that we have because we have an amazing trail system and and there's more to come. And, you know, I think that that there's a lot of hopes and dreams for um Part of the book, I, I asked oh, 10 or 12 people in the different parts of the club, you know, what, what are your hopes and dreams for the next, you know, the next part of the club's history? What would you like to see happen? And everything from a, some sort of a shelter up at the Hillside Park system, a chalet of some sort, um, to a, a designated roller ski loop that elite skiers could use because it's no longer safe to, to roller ski on the roads around here. And, and the bike trails aren't ideal for roller skiing. Um, you know, you have, you have so much traffic on them that it's, it's tricky and can be difficult. So, you know, those are some of the ideas I would love to see go back in time, get access um, to our early trails, we used to be able to ski early season at Moose Run Golf Course, um, but the military kind of said, no, we don't want you on the golf course anymore. So, um, but that was such a great early season because it got tended to get snow and, um, and now they've got paved golf cart paths, which they didn't have before. So I think that, you know, that, that would be so doable for early season when the snow is not totally there is just groom a trail on the on the um the golf course but also the biathlon trail which was a, a wonderful trail that was halfway up arctic valley that the biathlon unit put in in the 60s um that was a trail that we raced when i was in high school and the military closed it down it's now pretty overgrown but at one point um jim rankert and ted stevens um, were trying to open it back up to use and um for a short pocket of time, it looked like it was going to happen and then it isn't anymore. So it would be great to have that because that would be a good early season trail. I'd love to have the Chugach State Park um, allow us to groom early season, um, even if it's not all season, just Powerline Pass. Let us groom, you know, for for the um, competitors and well, just anybody that wants to get on skis, you know, give us access to that park just for October. <laughs> you know, that would be great. <laughs> but, you know, those are things in the works. Um, uh, there's just a lot. Um, but we're such a big club now that, um, you know, we're, I, I like to call the Nordic Skiing Association the mother club. You know, we are, we're kind of the, the over umbrella. We do the grooming. We run most of the races and things like that. There's a lot of splinter organizations off of that, including the, the elite training groups like APU and Winter Stars and Nordic Racing, but they depend on the mother club for for the grooming and, and the racing and and the ski jumping, you know, they, they require um, Nordic Ski Club uh, insurance liability and uh, in the biathlon, same thing. They have to be Nordic club members. And so it's just, it's a big community with a lot of um, branches to it. But I think that, um, you know, everybody just needs to know about it and appreciate it for what it is and help us because we need, we always need more help, <laughs> you know, 
Um, and that it's like any nonprofit. Um, you know, we we survive on our volunteers and we survive on on good corporate help and, and all that. So it's, but it's a great group. I mean, I've been a, a high school race um, volunteer for know, over 15 years now. And I love the community. I mean, I'm partly there just for social reasons. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's a great group of people. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And because I'm a retired teacher, I enjoy seeing the kids I taught you know, now they're seniors in high school because I was elementary, but it, it's just really fun to um, stay connected with that part of the club. So. Well, the last question is, uh, where would folks find your book if they want to get a hold of a copy of the book? Where do they, where do they go? Okay. Well, first of all, one of the main things when I finished the book is I worked with Keegan Randall at, at Nordic Skiing Association. And I said, look, I, I want this book to be out in the general public. And so, you know, she, she jumped on board right away. And I said, um, tell you what, let's make anybody that's a higher level Nordic ski club member, like a trailmeister trailblazer level, which means they've paid more to be a member, basically. Um, let's just give them a copy so that the book gets out. And, and that's been really great. And then uh, the Nordic Skiing Association office has books to sell. They're $30 each. Um, and in addition, if you live out of state or um, want to send it to somebody out of state, because there's so many people connected to Nordic that I have not been able to get to um, out of state, you can order it on Amazon. Um, the, the book name is on track with an exclamation park point. And um, you can order it easily on Amazon and they'll send it directly to whomever you want to send it to. So you can order it off the Nordic Skiing Association website too. Um, they they prefer not to mail it because that adds cost, but um, you can pick it up at their office um, or or just uh, have them send it to you. But at any rate, um, those are the two main places. I've also got copies at Hoarding Marmot and at AMH. Um, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'll probably eventually get some copies at Title One or Title Wave and uh, the Spinard Bookstore um, and beyond. I don't know. I'll have copies available at at the Anchorage Museum for the talk. I'm sure that they'll probably let me do that. Um, yeah, I, I mainly just want people to read it. Um, and it is skip aroundable. That's the term I use. Um, it's a, a library term that I, when I was working in uh, the schools, I used to tell the kids for nonfiction books, it's skip aroundable. You can just go to the parts that you're interested in and read those. And the feedback I've gotten has been so wonderful. Um, you know, the people that I really wanted to honor are, are just thrilled with it. Um, they, they really enjoy the fact that, you know, that history is, is recorded. It, it probably isn't perfect, but oh, well, <laughs> I did the best I could. And, and I tried really hard to, to follow up with people. And yeah, there are a few errors in the book that if I ever do a revision, I will clean up. But uh, for the most part, you know, it's, it's a record. And, uh, and I, I'm really happy to have done it. And the funny thing was, is I never expected to be an author. <laughs> it just wasn't really on my 
you know, life, life plan at all. My mom had written 12 books and, you know, it was just something I knew she had done. And boy, do I appreciate the amount of work she did to write 12 books. Whereas one book, one and done for me. (laughs) So yeah, but if you want the book, order it off in the Nordic website, Nordic Skiing Association of Anchorage, or order it on Amazon. That's probably your best bet. Or go to AMH or or, um, Hoarding Marbit. Yeah, that's good. Well, Alice, thank you so much for recording this history. So much of our history is sort of oral (laughs) and we don't always write it down. So I appreciate that you've written down this part of the history because it's not just the history of the Nordic Ski Association. It's the history in a big part of how the city looks today and how we recreate and how we use the city. So I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. And one more thing I really want to mention, um, I, this book, you know, was just sort of a a project of mine, but I was really fortunate and and thankful that both the Rasmussen Foundation and Atwood Foundation helped um, with grants to, to pay for the printing and publishing of the book. And I hired an editor and a book design person and, and I wanted the book to be as good as it could be. And so that involved expense. And if it weren't for the, the Atwood and um, Rasmussen Foundations, that wouldn't have happened. So thank you to them. And also uh, thank you to the many, many people that over the years have made Nordic what it is. Absolutely. And thank you to you for uh, spending some time with us and telling this story. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks. My thanks to Alice Knapp for joining me and sharing the history of NSAA. My thanks as well to the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage for all they do in maintaining the trails in our city. As a trail user, I'm deeply appreciative of their work. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchorage City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lentner. Mm-hmm.